Welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo for episode number 136. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and today I speak with Paul Spicelli, Chief Marketing Officer at Scality, which is a vendor of the Ring File and Object Storage Software and the Arteska Cloud Native lightweight object storage products. So Paul has over 25 years in the data storage and management industry, including IBM, Oracle, and he has been fortunate enough to be a member of several notable cloud computing and data storage startup companies. And in this episode, we discuss several different use cases of file and object storage software, how to build a scalable data platform, and some new and emerging technology on the storage horizon. So sit back, relax, and get ready for this episode. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, Paul. How are you today? Hey, Demetrius. I'm doing great, and it's wonderful to be here with you. Awesome. I am excited to have this conversation with you. And why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself and also a little bit about Scality as well. Sure, no problem. So Paul Speciali, I'm the chief marketing officer for the company. Uh, I've actually been with uh, the company now for eight years, and uh, it's a significant amount of time compared to the history because the company started in 2009. Uh, originally, the company has its root in, roots in Europe, in Paris, France, uh, but now you can think of us as a mini global storage company. Uh, we're actually now active in most of the big geographies, and actually we have customers in 48 countries. So excited to talk to talk to you more about that. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And so maybe let's dig into a little bit about, you know, who are these customers and also where they are and what, what exactly do you see that they need from a, a solution such as like file and, and object storage? Okay, no problem. And maybe I'll just do a quick recap to the beginning because I think it sets some good context. So when this company started, you know, the state of the art in big storage systems were really large SAN and NAS systems, right, from the major vendors. And there was a need from people that were starting to build cloud services. I'm talking around 2010 uh, for something that could really scale at the, at the level they needed, right? And they were starting to foresee petabytes of unstructured data as one of the requirements for the cloud services they were establishing. So honestly, the first set of customers were service providers, right? They saw the emergence of Amazon and other cloud vendors, and they thought we need to be offering services to our customers, but we need to do that on something that's more cloud-like, right? Something that's less hardware-centric and something that could grow with them over their needs um, and also be more cost-effective, kind of cloud-style economics. So service providers were number one, and they set up all these cloud services you know, there's a limited number of those customers in the world, especially the large ones. So you, at some point, start thinking about the enterprise customer. And we did. And that was around 2014. And what you realize with those customers is there's a need to not only support the future, but also legacy applications. So that was a big part of what they wanted. They wanted us to have a solution that could straddle their old apps that are mostly file-based and also the new apps that they were building for object storage in the cloud, right? So that was really the kind of the core. Uh, the common things for all of them was large and growing storage, right? These aren't people that have 10 or 20 terabytes. You know, they have hundreds of terabytes of unstructured data that they need to put somewhere. 
they want to keep it protected, it's valuable, and it needs to live with them over the years. So I think that's the common need, really, that we were after, is making data storage large and reliable and cost-effective. Okay. And also, as you were speaking there, it, it reminded me, because you mentioned unstructured data, and it, it's very obvious that data is growing at a tremendous rate. And we've we've heard this over the last 10, 15, 20 years, that the deluge of data and you know, data is the new oil and all of these different statements. Uh, but my question is, it's just around hygiene, like data hygiene, mm -hmm. and especially when you're dealing with unstructured data. Yes. What, what are your recommendations around maybe developing some, some better uh, data hygiene practices? Yeah, I think it comes into play a lot now because what you're seeing is the use of object storage, especially in the world of data analytics. And so a lot of people are setting up data pipelines and wanting to store these massive amounts of data in an object store. It just fits, right? Because you see it in the cloud, in the public cloud. Doing it on-prem for other use cases is very important. I think the hygiene relates to processes, you know, making sure that there's cleanliness in the data that's being imported. Uh, obviously, people are doing a lot of work with the big packaged uh, applications like Splunk, uh, that's another, you know, best practice that we see, and it's something we're very involved with. But I think, honestly, the technology that we provide really has to be combined with processes. And and like you said, some diligence about not duplicating data and not putting data in that's that ends up being obsolete or stale. You know, from our side, what we need to do is give a platform that is responsive and scales. That's what we need to do, right? Because there's always going to be the need to look at the data carefully and make sure that it's clean and useful for these type of applications. Um, and that's what we focus on, right? Is making the platform do all the right things in terms of performing uh, for these use cases. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And so you, you mentioned use cases again and making sure that the platform can, I guess, serve serve up or meet the needs of those use cases. Are, are there any specific use, use cases that, that maybe you can mention that you hadn't mentioned already that we could maybe dive into a bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where we kind of have to, uh, you know, kind of talk about the transition that's happened in this world. So the technology that we represent primarily is object storage, right? And if you look 10 years ago, what were people doing? In the enterprise, they really thought this is a great technology that we use for archives, right? Data that's fairly dormant. You store it once, maybe you access it once or twice, but it's not highly transactional or performance intensive, right? But Actually, it's very different. In the last five or six years, uh, this type of technology is used more and more for primary data. Uh, but the types of use cases that use it for primary data are things like video content delivery. That's one. Uh, I mentioned big data analytics. This is a platform tier that is now primary for a lot of data lakes. Um, if you look at Splunk, for example, their latest interface to storage for um, big data lakes is called Smart Store, and that's an S3 interface. Um, Vertica is another vendor that does the same. They do something called Eon Mode, which is object storage, S3 based. And now you're starting to see really performance demanding things in AI and machine learning. Uh, we also do live TV, you know, so this is TV streams being recorded live and you can't drop a frame. Mm, that's right. That's some high performance stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's where it's going, but we also see a lot of growth in healthcare, genomics, uh, medical imaging, you know, so you go get an X-ray or an MRI uh, chances are you're going to have uh, that data stored on an object store. And we're, uh, you know, part of those systems in uh, dozens of hospitals globally. Okay. And the first thing that popped in my mind when, when you talk about healthcare and, you know, you go, you're going to get that MRI or that, that CAT scan, whatever you're going to get. Um, and 
the system on the back end is some type of object storage, possibly compliance and, and regulations. Do you have any, any recommendations around uh, how to keep that data compliant? And maybe uh, what are some things that Gumbo listeners should, should look, look after, you know, if they are indeed running some of those workloads uh, in, in object storage? Yeah, typically the world of healthcare imaging applications, it's PACs, picture archiving systems and vendor neutral archives, they're still very file-based. That's the truth of uh, the state of that art. There is some migration happening to object storage. A few of the vendors now have an S3 API, but honestly, 95% of that is still, you know, using SMB on a Windows platform as the storage interface. Um, You know, that's a harder environment to lock down. We all know that ransomware and malware actors target the Windows platform. We're doing more and more. And I'll tell you, one of the things we're doing is to provide data immutability in the file system. Uh, we can do what we can do. You know, things like uh, volume protection is a capability in our product. Uh, what is volume protection? Uh, the way it works is you write a file, and at some pre-described time, we turn the files into read-only. Okay, so they can no longer be modified. So once you have that, there's no deletion, there's no encryption, there's no overwrites possible on existing files. But you can still write new things in. Uh, there's more and more we can do, right, for pattern detection, anomalous pattern detection, and canary files and things like that. Um, it's a very, you know, solid track, but I would say that where we're really investing now is in the object storage part of protecting the data. Uh, we have truly data, uh, we have data immutability on the object storage side, uh, through things like object locking, uh, object locking actually allowed us to get a validation for SEC storage in the financial service industry. So there's something called SEC 17A4, um, data retention policies, legal holds, all of that is part of that capability in the object store. So really the key is finding an application that can leverage that over S3. uh, And then on the back end, you can take advantage of these capabilities and have data that absolutely cannot be deleted, modified, encrypted, even by the administrator, by the way. If you set a policy that says lock this for 90 days, uh, nobody can go in and override that. Okay, so even if you have a, you know, internal bad actor, you're, you're very safe. Right. And I, I remember, you know, back d- during my TSM administrator days, uh, it was back in the day of tape when tape was like the primary medium. So you had disc uh, and, and disc were evolving a little bit, but they were, you know, just a means of getting that data backed up and protected quickly. And then the next thing you did was to copy that data off to tape so you can get it off site. And uh, also one thing that they, they implemented as well was um, Worm, uh, write once, read many, compact disks. So these were enterprise grade, um, like DVDs or CDs that actually write data on them and you can't alter that data, right? right? I was working for a financial services company and we had multiple copies kept uh, of email. So the email was backed up to disk, copied to tape, copy to a, a second tape, and then copy it again to a uh, worm CD. So there were like at least five or six copies of this data, which is, you know, insane. But you had to do that in order to comply with SEC 17-A for Sarbanes-Oxley. So it was, a, it was a really interesting time. Yeah, I get it. And yeah, I totally understand. And, and we should say that that 3 two, one practice of having three copies of your data in two different uh, repositories and one of them offsite, that's still there today, right? 
And actually, one of the industries that's most uh, uh, advanced in embracing object storage is actually the data protection industry. You know, you look at vendors like Leem and Commvault, they've actually all embraced the S3 API for cloud storage, but that works with on-premises object storage as well, right? And they all now have certifications for data immutability and object locking for ransomware. Uh, we fit into that ecosystem. We've been validated. It's a pretty strong answer, right? So rather than having a, a worm copy on tape, you can have a worm copy now on disk and actually benefit from it, right? Because the data, like you said, it's more manageable, more accessible, and faster online if you need to restore. So that that is a world that has really embraced object storage, I should say. Okay. Yeah. And what about cloud storage? Because, you know, typically, just as you mentioned, now the, pri the primary mechanism is storing data. Um, for some people, it may be just storing data in the cloud, right? Um, and so it's becoming more and more prevalent today. Um, but my question for you, though, Paul, is I guess, how do you keep that data protected while it's in the public cloud? And, and do you have any, any recommendations for making sure that that data is as secure as possible um, and accessible, you know, when you need to access it? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, for us, public cloud, so we're a vendor of on-premises storage, right? And maybe just to rewind a little bit and then answer your question square on, up until five years ago, we were purely selling to the corporate data center, right? Service provider or corporate data center. And we were advocating that they deploy storage on-prem. And that worked until a time where people started saying, look, we're embracing more and more public cloud storage. How do you want to work with that? And what we've done is essentially provide a way to manage data across different locations. And that can be uh, a single namespace that lets you view your data, whether it's on-prem or in the public cloud. Uh, all of our products offer that. So you can actually use our APIs and our endpoints to talk to data that's in our product or in Amazon or Azure or Google or another cloud. Uh, on top of that, we actually made it possible to, to define data workflow policies. So for example, you could say, keep my data in the on-prem system for 30 days and then tear it off to Amazon S3, or it could be six months, whatever your business policy is. Uh, we also allow you to search on that data so you can find it independent of location. Uh, you asked more about data protection. The policies that we can put are about how many copies to retain, how we erasure code the data, uh, whether we object lock it, whether we encrypt it, and we work with our own, you know, Amazon compatible encryption on-prem, but we make it transparent to do encryption in the public clouds and still be able to see and access the data. Okay, so there's a lot more, I would get, I, I would say integration uh, with this ecosystem now than even five years ago. Right, and everything that you mentioned, just uh, I, I thought about ransomware and, you know, asking a question specifically around protection mechanisms, you know, how would you go about or, or maybe recommendations around, you know, keeping that data as secure as possible, especially from ransomware. And uh, also a while ago, there, there was a debate about, you know, if you store your data in the cloud, then it, it's not as secure as it would be if you had that data on premises. And now, I think with the, the evolution of where we are right now, actually, it may be the other way around because, you know, public cloud vendors, they have great security, right? And, and also the shared responsibility model that, you know, that you are responsible for your own data and making sure that you lock it down. And you never really hear cases where the vendor actually um, allowed that data to be stolen 
right? It's typically an accident or it's something that someone didn't lock down a storage bucket or permissions were not uh, set appropriately from that perspective. But I guess my question for you is, do you have any specific, you know, ransomware protection uh, recommendations that that Gumbo listeners could actually implement in order to make their environments more secure? Yeah, I think it's a fairly broad answer, right? So a storage system is always going to be part of a technology stack that defends against a variety of threats, right? You're going to have network security, application, user processes, and then the storage security layer. On the storage security layer, we do all the usual best practices, right? Authentication and access control and encryption of data, Um, So in a way, we fit within the best practices of the industry. What we're seeing, honestly, is that companies are no longer all in on public cloud nor all in on private cloud on-premises data centers. The most leading organizations now have a balanced and intelligent strategy. They realize that for some things, they're going to stay on-prem, right? Those are the things they want to control the most, have the best process control over maybe performance, maybe security, they do keep things on-prem and the investment is staying there and we see it uh, you know, being something that they'll keep for at least the foreseeable future. With that said, public cloud is there. So all of the things I talked about earlier about integrating uh, you know, so that you have a single namespace and can manage data across the environments and not have lock-in is a pretty big deal. Uh, from a ransomware perspective, though you asked specifically, really the, I, you know, the model now for the object storage world is to follow the Amazon S3 protocol So we all implement the mechanisms that they have. Uh, We do. We implement the object lock I talked about. We implement their style of encryption. Um, In a way, you can be very, very secure on-prem, right? One of the things that we add on top of public cloud, I would actually say, is that we give you control over your sovereignty, right? What's hard sometimes with public cloud is to guarantee that your data is stored where you want it to be stored, in what region or what country, right? We hear that a lot, especially in Europe. Uh, you know, Amazon might not have a region in the country that you're you're concerned about, right? Well, with object storage, you can deploy in your own private data center and make sure that when you store an object that's locked in a you know ransomware protected bucket, it's in the right place, and you can manage it and make sure that that sovereignty is adhered to. So, I think there's a real reason to keep using these kind of hybrid technologies, and honestly, in practice, that's what we're seeing our customers do. Hmm. Okay. And also specifically, Paul, what what would a conversation look like with a a CIO or a CISO just around, you know, object storage, um, file and object storage, and also maybe you trying to convince them that, hey, this is the direction that you should go in, or maybe you want, you know, new dollars to flow in, um, in, in that direction? Yeah, I think it gets into, you know, really what we can do to enable the business. Um, We've looked at a lot of the empirical evidence from our customers, and it's very surprising. You would think that object storage is really an internal enabler, and it turns out that in nearly 70% of the time, we actually have an impact on their top-line revenues. We actually help them set up new services, and those are revenue-generating services that actually help grow the business, right? If you think about it, it's all about data protection, but also about data delivery. And in all the fields we all deal with, right? From media entertainment to financial services to government, right? And service providers. It's all about services to customers. You know, one of the things that we do well is to allow you to remove silos, right? If you look at your data center today, what do you have? Dedicated systems for file storage, other systems for backup, right? You might still have some tape. You might still have some some NAS devices. 
With an object store, a modern object store like what we provide, you can have a single system that does both file and object, uh, thereby eliminating at least two silos. But if you're going to grow it to tens of petabytes, you're probably, you know, consolidating at some point, maybe five or ten systems. So really, it's enabling a lot lower, a lot lower cost of ownership internally, but also being able to power services that generate revenue for you. Right. Um, I'll give you another example uh, in the insurances industry. In the insurance industry, we have uh, customers that are doing claims management. Uh, they actually need to store that data that comes from mobile cameras for crash. Uh, evidence, for example, they flow that into a public cloud, but where do they want to store it persistently? They store it on-prem in an object-locked object store. Uh, and that gives them the confidence to know that that's something they'll hold on-prem in the right location for years. Uh, those are the types of services that people are setting up now, and you can see that it involves both public and private cloud storage. Okay, got it. I, I love that example. And uh, it, it seems like you are really privy to to the market and, and what's going on and what's happening out in the in the industry. Uh, so I do want to kind of tap into your brain and find out what's new and emerging mm -hmm. just from your perspective. And you know, what do you think we can expect to to see in in the storage industry over the next uh, year or two? Yeah, that's a, a great question. It's always a little hard to predict the future, and there's so many areas, right? But I'll pick one. Okay. And the use case that we haven't seen before for object storage is really lightweight deployments in smaller edge locations. So edge, we've all heard the term, you know, what does it really mean, right? It means non-data center, non-enterprise IT environments. Uh, what's needed here, right? Think about a retail environment where you have a company that has tens or hundreds of stores. They want to deploy some kind of local, local data storage, maybe for video surveillance, or maybe they need something to store their backups because they have a Veeam or a Commvault environment. To be able to do that in a non-human uh, operated manner is a very different problem, right? They might have a smaller amount of capacity, but they have absolutely no human administrators. What we need is something that's as simple as it gets to deploy and manage. In fact, it's humanless, uh, fully automated operations. I think that's where this technology is going. Uh, it's getting smaller and lighter weight so that you can deploy it on a virtual machine. It doesn't need a physical server. You might even be able to deploy it in a, an ARM processor type of environment if you're in a manufacturing environment. So I think this smaller, lighter, uh, easier to manage, auto automated management uh, footprint is what's happening. That's a big part of it. And I see it everywhere, right? I mentioned retail, but think about biopharmaceutical you know, manufacturing uh, think about, uh, you know, the entertainment industry in terms of airplanes and, and cruise ships. They're all kind of in the need for consuming digital data. Uh, so I think this is a big, a big emerging part of what we'll all work on. Okay. And also, as, as you were speaking there, I, I thought of, you know, what's the best way to kind of access some of these technologies? And to me, one thing that popped in my head was APIs. You know, how do you... How do you, you know, kind of integrate and plug into these different systems like Splunk and, you know, just pick your system, right? What role do you think APIs play in the in the data management and, and storage landscape, you know, today and, and maybe also in, in the near future as well? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, when I was talking a minute ago about, you know, automated management, it really speaks to API driven monitoring and API driven provisioning of storage. This is, these are places where you're not going to have a human involved. We didn't yet mention the term cloud native, but cloud native is the model where people are now developing and deploying these applications. That's an API centric model, 
right? Not only for the data, and we're very happy now that the S3 API, obviously it's a RESTful API, it fits very nicely into that model for data consumption. But in terms of monitoring, you have new APIs like Prometheus for monitoring key performance indicators and metrics in that world. We're doing everything we can in our products to publish everything through APIs, installation, monitoring, management, and provisioning. And you'll hear about advancements there. You know, in the object storage world, there's the analogy of uh, container storage interface for provisioning block and file storage. It's called COSI for container object storage interface. So I would say that API-driven everything is really this future model, and it even ties into those edge automation uh, comments I made a minute or two ago. Awesome. I heard a phrase called developer is king. So yes. if, if you can write code and you can develop, then you, you are at the forefront of innovation um, specifically for your company. It is the future. We see it as well. And we think object, store is, object storage is a natural, a natural fit with that. Awesome, awesome. And, and also, you, you do know, and I'm sure you've heard uh, the term, the great resignation. Yes, right? of course. Uh, that that it's, it's happening right now. You know, people are leaving jobs in record numbers, and they're also getting hired into new positions and new roles. Um, so along that line, what, what advice do you have for maybe a backup and storage administrator that, that may have been in their role for quite some time, and they're thinking about, you know, making a jump, uh, making a jump and making a shift into uh, maybe even cloud, right? You know, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think it's a great point, right? I think education is always a key, right? And I'm starting to hear a lot about, uh, you know, people immersing themselves in education in these new domains, learning this new world of cloud native, even if you, you know, start cracking open and learning the terminology, I think that's a, a big one. More tangibly, if you could start getting your hands around the use of an Amazon cloud and understand the S3 API, how that works. It's actually fairly simple. In a way, if you think about it, we've gone from these really complex storage interfaces of the past to something now that does a put, a get, and a delete, right? That's the kind of the intrinsic nature. I would learn that. And I think being open-minded to learning these new storage management uh, paradigms, you know, object storage underneath the covers isn't using RAID technology anymore. It's using erasure coding and replication. These are concepts we can all learn. So my mantra is take time to learn. And I think like you said, in the great resignation, people are actually using that time to learn something new and jump into these new fields. And I'm seeing massive numbers of young people, especially come into the, the R&D uh, development side. Awesome. And I am also hearing about young people signing up to be mainframe uh, administrators as, as well, which was dying off for quite some time. And then I think they, they started offering like huge salaries for people. The next thing we're going to say is yeah. Co COBOL is going to be hot again. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. That's great to hear. I think there's going to be a need for mainframes for the foreseeable future. Right, right. And and speaking along the line of, of young people, uh, if, if you had an opportunity, Paul, to travel back in time to uh, maybe whisper something in your 16-year-old self's ear, Yes. What would that advice be? Well, I think I'm very personally intrigued by data analytics. The more you can learn about data and information, and like we started talking about, Demetrius, with cleansing data and processing it and making it available to business decision makers, study that world. I think that's a world that's hot, and we're only seeing it at the tip of the iceberg. So the more you can learn about that, it gets very quickly into artificial intelligence and machine learning. 
that's today's hot topic. And I think if you want to have job security, that's the one to be in. Got it. Got it. And w- one more question before I uh, wrap up here. Um, what what are you reading today? Is there is there a book recommendation that may, maybe you can provide? Yeah, actually, I just picked up the book called Ultra Learning. Uh, I find it very fascinating. I'm forgetting the name of the author at the moment, but uh, it's all about immersing yourself for a short period of time. Uh, for example, if you want to learn a language uh, in three months, really immerse yourself and don't be afraid to speak the language and make mistakes. Okay, and really do it in a concentrated period of time. I think it applies to even the domains we just talked about here. You can learn things quickly and uh, just apply yourself and, and set goals within you know weeks and months and you'll you'll get there. But ultra learning, that's my book. All right. Well, awesome. And if a Gumbo listener wanted to reach out to you, how would they do that? Is that um, social media? Yeah, on social media, I'm at speciality one on, uh, on Twitter. Well, thank you again, Paul, for appearing on Data Protection Gumbo. It has definitely been a pleasure. I have learned quite a few things that I I didn't know before. So um, it's been awesome. Thank you for being on the show. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Demetrius. Thank you for listening to Data Protection Gumbo. Please follow us on Twitter at DPG Podcast and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Just search backup and recovery professionals on LinkedIn and you will find the group. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, have a fantastic week.